The Holy Gospel according to Mark, the first chapter. Jesus and his disciples went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. My dear brothers and sisters, I bring you grace and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. So we are at the end of January now, and that puts us still in the Sundays following the Festival of Epiphany, and that lasts until Lent begins on Ash Wednesday in a few weeks. Epiphany, as you may remember, is all about Jesus being made known to the nations, about the message of the gospel expanding and spreading and growing, uh, sending its light into a dark world, a message, by the way, that is uh, beautifully emphasized in the words of that hymn we just sung. So one way to approach this period of the church year is to talk about the stories of Jesus that reinforce that theme. So, for example, in today's gospel, we get the very beginning of Jesus's ministry according to the gospel Mark. After Jesus's baptism and after he calls his first disciple, disciples, he heals a man with an unclean spirit. And we're told that his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. And again, this story would support this theme of epiphany, of word about Jesus's message becoming more widely known and continuing to spread. As I say, that's one approach, focusing on Jesus himself. But I have to say that Pastor Valerie's message last week got me thinking about a different direction. Uh, if you were with us then, you may recall that she talked about three women from the New Testament, Lydia, Dorcas, and Phoebe. And why did she think of them last week? She thought of them because their feast day, the day they are remembered and commemorated in the church calendar, uh, fell on a day last week. And of course, as early followers of Jesus, they also fit this theme of sharing the message of Jesus, of spreading the gospel. As Pastor Valerie mentioned, one of them, Phoebe, literally carried Paul's letter that we now call the New Testament book of Romans to the community of believers in Rome. So Phoebe shared that message in a particularly powerful and important and specific way. And as I say, that got me thinking. And it turns out that this past week there was another commemoration in the calendar of the church for someone you are all familiar with if you live in this area, even if you don't know much about him. You're familiar with him because he's the namesake of the University of St. Thomas. I'm talking about a man named Thomas Aquinas, who lived a few hundred years before the events of the Reformation, from 1225 to 1274. One book about Thomas begins with this very simple sentence. There are about a half a dozen outstanding Christian thinkers in Western civilization, Thomas Aquinas 
is one of them. During his lifetime, just briefly, a little biographical information, during his lifetime, and again from 1225 to 1274, Thomas traveled the length and breadth of Europe, from Cologne to Paris to Toulouse to Rome to Naples, all of it on foot. During his relatively brief life, he was 49 when he died, he wrote about 10 million words in some 60 collected works. That's more than 10 times uh, Shakespeare's complete plays, by the way. He was so renowned for his brilliance that he was regularly summoned by popes and kings to help them sort out thorny and difficult questions. It's reported that he often had three or four secretaries writing out his dictation at the same time as he moved from one to the other and dictated different topics to each in real time. Thomas is, in the estimation of many, one of the most brilliant individuals ever to have lived, and his life was lived in service to discovering and learning and then teaching, passing on the truth. As one of his contemporaries reported, in all of his prayers, Thomas prayed simply for wisdom, which is lifted up today, by the way, in the psalm that was read uh, by Chelsea, Psalm 111. Now, um, I'm going to concede something obvious. It would take a long time to try to summarize 10 million words in 60 collected works. So, I want to focus this morning on one specific area where I think Thomas can be helpful for us today, which relates to a major challenge to our faith, a major challenge both to fully accepting it for ourselves, I think, and also a major challenge that's a barrier to spreading the message of the gospel to others, which again is part of this theme of epiphany which we're in today. And as it happens, uh, that challenge was articulated nicely uh, maybe surprisingly, but nicely, by a question someone had for Timberwolves head coach Ryan Saunders during uh, last year's final Faith and Life lecture series event. Now, as you might expect, many of the questions we got that evening were about basketball and plays and players and the state of the Timberwolves. But honestly, the question that I remember more than any other was from a teenager whose question wasn't about any of those things. Here's what he asked, and I'm quoting here. I'm a 14-year-old eighth grader, and I find it hard to be open about my faith. When I do, I seem to get made fun of for believing in fairy tales, or told that I should believe in science instead of a phony God. It's so frustrating. I don't understand why people have such a problem with what I believe. And then he asks this poignant and touching uh, final question, Coach Saunders, have you ever been made fun of because of your faith? Now, would you agree that if a 14-year-old who has the opportunity to ask an NBA head coach any question at all ends up asking a question about the intersection of faith and science, would you concede that perhaps in our culture we have a problem? Again, this is what he said. I am told that I should believe in science instead of a phony God. Somewhere along the line, this young teenager has been convinced that either you can believe in science or you can believe in God, but not both. His question underscored for me once again, and I have to say this is one of the few soapboxes I have, that this presumed conflict between faith and science 
or between faith and reason presents real challenges for people of faith today, even if it is, in fact, a presumed conflict. I would argue, subject for another time, that there is, in fact, no real conflict there. So back to Thomas. It turns out that one of the major priorities of Thomas's work was to affirm the truth of both faith and reason. And this was during a century when people were starting to line up to support one or the other. A large part of his genius and his legacy was to hold them together, to synthesize them, to remind us that truth with a capital T includes them both, not one or the other, not one in place of the other, not one being more important than the other. And in affirming both, he was continuing expanding on the work of an earlier theologian, Augustine, who lived almost a thousand years before him and who also affirmed that same synthesis in his own way. Thomas reminds us powerfully that the Christian church has always, always, always talked and recognized both the importance of the truth that comes to us through the Bible and the truth that comes to us through the study of the physical world around us, what today we call science. Now, sadly, I would say that despite Thomas's brilliance and his incredible work synthesizing these two paths to truth, over the centuries since he lived, he has largely lost that battle in terms of cultural assumptions, which is why today a 14-year-old feels like he can't believe in both God and science and why he believes he has to choose between them. So I want to suggest this morning that Thomas still has something to teach us today about this challenge. And maybe rather than try to summarize or distill what he taught, it is best for me to conclude by lifting up Thomas's approach to his work. How in everything he did, he courageously sought the truth by asking questions. Whatever else you can say about Thomas, he was absolutely unafraid to ask questions. Any questions, all questions. And the legacy he left us as he thought through and reflected on the answers to those questions remains a powerful resource for us even today. So, this morning, can I encourage us to follow Thomas in that way? By a willingness to open ourselves to questions about the world around us and about our faith. To question even, for example, the unfounded cultural assumption that there is a conflict between faith and science and to learn more about the answer to that question, I am confident that when we do, when we genuinely seek after the truth, when we are open to questions and their honest answers, we will always discover, as Thomas did, that God is waiting there for us. We owe this not only to ourselves, but to 14-year-olds everywhere. Amen.